Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike. And now for my personal disclaimer, although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get the Vet podcast are based on my personal experience. Thanks for listening. Hello there, Get the Vet friends. I'm trying a new line today. I'm Trevor Maxwell. And with me, as always, is my soon-to-be civilian uh, partner in crime. Five months and count. Mike Riggs. <laughs> yep. Hey, and uh, quick disclaimer. You know, we always try to squeeze in some profanity here uh, once in a while. But um, if you got little kids or some old people, whatever, people that don't like really dirty language, maybe ask them to, to uh, leave the room today because you might hear, hear a few F-bombs today. So <laughs> I, didn't want, I didn't want our guest today to feel like he has to hold back. But uh, we got Herb Thompson. Uh, Herb is a retired Green Beret. And uh, he's actually got a book called The Transition Mission. And I, you know, I think it's probably, you know, I've read a lot of books about transition out there. And I just kind of thought like it's, it, it doesn't really give you anything like where the rubber re- meets the road. And I think that's kind of like where, where Herb's book kind of uh, stands out amongst the rest of them. So I'll let him go ahead and introduce himself. Uh, Herb, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm Herb Thompson, management consultant by day and a transition advice giver by afternoon, though. Uh, so I also wrapping up my executive MBA at Cornell. Uh, but, you know, before that was uh, 20 years in the Army. I actually started out in human resources because I'm colorblind and then was a drill sergeant, one drill sergeant of the year for the Army in 2008, and then went on to be a Green Beret uh, in fifth group my whole time, retired as a team sergeant, and then was like, what the hell do I do now? Um, really is before I retired, I started figuring that out. Thankfully to a couple mentors who sent me down a talk, but that's how I came about writing the transition mission to share knowledge. Cause I saw how difficult it was, but I started two years before my retirement and most people don't. And I was like, if it was that difficult two years, you know, planning, like it was a deployment and I'm sure we'll get into that, but it was like, okay, I talk with so many people. I've talked with thousands from you know, mainly E6 to 06, but a few generals in there, a few, you know, uh, junior enlisted, and it's difficult for everybody. So nobody has it good. Everybody has their own issues. And one of the things that I noticed from reading your book, and when you came on THF, because I got your book through THF, and you came on one evening, uh, I think it was about a month, month and a half ago, was the frankness in your book is definitely comes out in your personality and it's amazing how they both parallel each other. And that's really one of the great things I like about your book. It's, it's upfront, it's honest, it's very forward and there's no BS in it. And it applies to, I'm going through it right now. So um, I really love the book. I love your frankness when you came on the uh, honor foundation and the advice that you were giving folks. And that's really why, you know, Trevor and I pushed to try to get you on the show. And thanks for being here. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. That's, that's the only way I know how to be. <laughs> some people like that. Some don't, uh, but that's, I never intended to be an author, full disclosure, failed the ninth grade English and had to go to summer school. Uh, so from that to an award-winning best-selling author, but really it was, Hey, let me just get it out of here. And, um, just digestible points. I think a lot of people talk about stuff in there, but like, how does that resonate? What are real life examples? And just being, Hey, like, let's be real. This shit sucks. It, there is a, there's a component of the transition that sucks. Even if you're embracing it and enjoying it, um, that it's difficult. So why, why do we, we don't talk about that all the time. And we're like, Oh, we can't talk about those things, but it's real. And I don't care who you are. Um, it's difficult. And scary. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I like the fact that you you mentioned, like you gave yourself two years to get out. And I think that's something that uh, hopefully the information is getting out there now, especially to the career folks, like all these guys that I hear that are like, oh man, you know, I'm, I'm getting out in six months and they come talk to me about, you know, should I take this survivor benefit plan? And I'm like, oh, God damn it. (laughs) Six months. Like, bro, you should have, I mean, for me, I gave myself 14 months and it was still, and I had a deployment. I call it a deployment. I was at seventh group living in a beach house. So (laughs) 
<laughs> but you know, I came back and I had four months to cram all that shit in. I still had to turn over my team and take care of my boys. And, and uh, yeah, that was, I got to tell you, that was probably the most stressful time of my life. And, you know, if I could go back and tell myself again, how to do it again, I'd be like, make sure you give yourself, you know, that two years because that's, and, and go out and find some programs. I couldn't do the honor foundation no. um, just because of the deployment, but, you know, I came back, I started volunteering and now I'm a coach there and organizations like that are awesome. They give you, you know, they basically hand you the keys to the car. They're like, here, here's how to drive it. You know, here's what all the buttons do. Um, I didn't get that. <laughs> they were just like, you ever, you know, have you ever flown a helicopter before here? Good luck. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, and I think I got lucky really the gentleman sent me down Vietnam era green Bray was like, what's next. And I was like, well, my transition plan was to have a bachelor's degree. Right. And I was in the process of getting towards that finishing that was like well i don't know and he really talked to me and talked about it. and that's when i really dove in and was like crap i i don't know what i want to do what, what what am i going to do and let's be real i joined at 17 like a lot of the enlisted side or even officers you know they come in straight out of college or however they commissioned and that's your only way of life that you know so it wasn't even and i think that's where a lot of the stuff focuses on getting a job but it is a whole new identity you have to find or even discover who you are and what is your what's your new team your new tribe gonna be what's your new group gonna be and then oh yeah oh by the way what job am i gonna get to pay the bills which is what most people think about you know that job so it's it's a difficult process to even conceptualize because nobody you're serving with gets it and that's why you said you know 14 months with a deployment in there i think two years is a sweet spot a lot of people tell me earlier before that no if you would have told me when i was a young private hey worry about transition I was worried about me being the best Joe I could, you know, or like when I was a drill sergeant, I was worried about that. When I was a team on a team in SF, I was worried about that becoming the best green beret I could. And there became a point of like, Oh crap, what's next. And then I started besides the college classes, focusing on that. And that two year mark is enough. Cause you get to go through a lot of stuff and not have to cram and rush. And I mean, so many people successfully transition, but I think, you know, what's that success look like? Like, success for you, Trevor, is you, whatever you believe. And for Mike, it's whatever Mike believes. And for me, it's whatever I believe, unless we look at other people go, Oh, that's what success looks like. That's what I have to do. And then, cause we don't know any better. And the people were asking, Hey, Hey Bill. Oh, wait, you still got six more years in you. You don't know crap and you don't really understand it. Cause you're not going through it. So I think, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. And it's a really tough mind shift I'm finding too, because you spend decades focusing on we, and focusing on the team and always, you know, you're broken down from the beginning to focus on something bigger than yourself. And you do that for years. And in my case, almost 30 years are going to be 30 years. And now you're, you're basically trying to flip a switch to be a selfish bastard. Now, now it's about me. And now I got to focus on what's right for me and my family and setting myself up for success and what I want to do and all those pronouns, you know, and it's a very, very difficult mind shift to set yourself to, to set into, to get yourself to think that way, because you haven't been doing it for, for that long, you know, for so long. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, it's, I mean, you know, in our community and all most of the military communities, if you if it's, Hey, I did this, it's, Whoa, who the hell are you? Like that, that's not encouraged. You're ostracized. If you think that as the exact opposite, when they get out, cause nobody else is getting out with you. Technically, you know, I always say transitions in the most individualized team sport. So many people help you, but you own all the decisions. And, and I think another thing to go with that is we hear all the time. Wow. Veterans. I want to hire veterans. I want to hire veterans or in the military you hear, and see like, wow, you're, you're a badass, right? You're a green beret. You're a badass. People, people admire you. People look up to you or you're a, you know, a retiring E9 or retiring Colonel, whatever it is, people look up to that. And then, Oh, what's next? You know, it, it isn't just an easy kind of, Oh, I flip a switch and I go to a different office the next day. And I said this before, you know, you've been behind the wire for so long that when they finally do open up the front door, you feel like a lab puppy that's finally been let off a leash after being in a house for 30 years. And it's like, Oh, Holy shit. I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. I don't, I don't really know. And you, you start with, I know, well, let me just narrow this down to, I don't want to do that. 
Okay, let me check that off. And then, you know, thankfully through like commit and then like Honor Foundation does a heck of a job with focusing on your why. And you really start to really drill down on, okay, maybe this is what I want to do. And I'm, I'm honestly, I graduate here in like two weeks. And I'm still, to be honest with you, I still am trying to focus on, okay, Mike, really, what is it? What do you, what do you really want to do? You know, and I'm, I got onboarded with a, you know, phenomenal company that Trevor and I, you know, we know the guy who was one of the founders of it and I'm looking forward to working with those guys, but I'm also looking for other things that there's so much more out there to do and really finding your why and find what's next, you know, and everybody knows, I think most people know, most veterans know you're going to, you're going to transition. This isn't the first one. So get ready to do it again, you know? So, uh, yeah. And, and the, the other good thing is like the opportunity that I have currently, it's one of those things where, you know, you can do the multiple income streams where you can do this thing and it could be a side gig. It can be a, you know, the front gig and you can do something else on the side. And you know, there's all kinds of these other different opportunities that we've developed with these skill sets that we have over this long, you know, this long-term previous career that we can roll into doing these great things that give us, you know, a really stable post-military career that really doesn't have a whole lot of risk. What we've afforded ourselves is that great pension and that great VA backing. And then we can, you know, really stabilize ourselves with two or, other, two or three other streams of income like Trevor has. I mean, he's a fine example of it. And I think that, that's kind of what I'm looking at. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, thank you. You've been <laughs> but, called worse, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, mine was kind of, you know, I'm, I'm that dude in the movie that presses the big red button that says, do not fucking push this button. And it's just, that's in my nature. Mike knows he was my yeah, first. I was his first chief. Yep. So <laughs> it's just, I'm, I'm like that dumb son of a bitch. What I don't, I'm not stupid, but it's like, I have to learn the hard way. And I didn't do, I, I this is great having you guys on here. Cause Mike's going through it. Herb, you sound like you did it a better way than I did. I kind of made the decision I did a few things and I didn't do any of that soul searching. I didn't figure out my why. I just had a guy tell me like, Hey, you seem like you, you know, when I got into financial services, I, I went to go see a guy who was an advisor to help me get ready. And, you know, I was thinking like, maybe I'll go do contracting or something. I just know I didn't want to work for the government anymore. And he was like, Hey, you should come do this. And I was like, all right, let's do it. I did it for a couple of years. I wasn't very good at it, I don't think. And I kind of plateaued like as far as the skill set that I had there. So that's when I went to go meet, link up with another guy. And I think you know him, Herb, Scott Tucker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I started, I had known Scott since I retired. And um, he told me to tell you hi, by the way. <laughs> Anyways, hey. you know, he was doing the things that I was really interested in learning about personal branding and, and the digital learning how to take advantage of those digital platforms and stuff. And so it was then when I started, you know, now that I've been with his company for about a year, I feel like more successful than I was before. Um, And, and, you know, I, I kind of, I had to do my soul searching afterwards, I guess. Yeah, we don't know what we don't know. And it kind of, I try to relate it to layman terms that some people may understand. It's like, we're over the drop zone and they say, here's your shoot. You know, we're just doing a static line. And then you jump, but you don't know what the DZ is. You don't even know what to look for on the DZ. It's in a different language and you're going to land on the DZ all somewhere. Oh, you know, you're going to hit ground. That's the only guarantee. So I think what, you know, by talking to people, find out, you try stuff out and where you end up, where you end up. Like a lot of times I think people will end up at companies experience to talk with people and myself. I didn't know it existed six months before. I didn't know it existed a year before. I didn't know the company existed, let alone the job in that company existed, but you talk with people. And I did what Mike was talking about. I just started eliminating stuff. And I always reference wall street. People are like, you want to go into banking? And I knew like, Hey, there's tellers in a bank and there's somebody in a suit in the back office. And that was banking to me besides like wall street movies, you know? And, after talking with a few bankers, I was like, well, I'm not doing banking because it just isn't for me. I knew that wasn't where my strengths or my desires lied. And that's what made it easier for me to figure out where I was at least going to start was, hey, what don't I want to do? But really, that made me look at, don't think of that first job. I think Mike said it. You're going to change jobs again. Where do you want to be 20 years from now? Backwards plan this thing. Why don't we plan this like we re- normally do planning backwards plan? 
and get to where we're going and be able to leverage the job that you take to get to something else. Yeah, that's why well, I, I, I'm kind of in that phase now where that's what people were like, what do you want to do when you retire? And I'm just like, I want to own a bunch of shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably never going to retire. I'll just own a bunch of stuff. And, and <laughs> I'm, I may act like I know what I want to do and what I'm doing. Like, no, like most people are figuring it out. Right. And making the best of it as we go. Yeah. And I'm sure you'll have opportunities that are going to emerge after you complete your uh, MBA, you know, that are going yeah. to open up some doors. I will tell you, it's huge. That was something I saw to where I want to go to where I think my long-term, you know, and it's not defined, but it's more of a, Hey, this is kind of the, the azimuth I wanted to go. It, it is truly, as I'm looking at positions elsewhere now and seeing what's out there, it is so different two years later. Cause literally two years ago I was, Hey, I'm Herb Thompson retiring green beret. That's it. That's all I had. There was nothing else. Like there was, there was nothing else to it. Now I'm seen as, Oh, you're a management consultant. You have your MBA from Cornell. Oh, by the way, you also used to be a Green Beret. Like, that's cool. Like, it is not even, it's not the talking point. It's a, it's a kind of bygone talking point. I like yeah. that. And I, when I talk to people like coaching and stuff, I, I always tell them like, Hey man, don't let what you used to do for a living define who you are, right? That, yeah. Don't attach your identity to that because two things are going to happen. One, it's going to limit, you know, the opportunities for you after, your military career and two, it's going to make you unhappy because you don't do that anymore. Right. I don't, I haven't jumped out of a plane or blown anything up in years now. And, and nobody understands it. Right. Nobody understands. I, I just had this thought as I recently looked at my resume, I'm like, it's still, I still have special forces on there. Right. Cause I'm like, I'm not going to put lipstick on a pig, a special force team. sergeant. that's why I'm going to say I was, but nobody else knows what that is. Right. No one, you know, there's some people who think they do. There's a whole lot of people who don't know. And then a few people who know, so I, you got to articulate that either in your resume and in your speaking and the further you get away from that. It's funny. I never wore like, in my case, you know, I'm wearing a special force t-shirt right now. I never wore that crap when I was in it. I would have punched myself, but now I'm like, ah, that's like my identity. I, I broke out a water bottle I bought like 10 years ago and started drinking out of it. Uh, but that's kind of like that stuff. But I don't, I don't ever look at myself as that. And like, well, oftentimes I'll forget some stuff. Cause they're like, Oh, you're a green bird. I was like, oh yeah, it was actually, you know, like, yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's like one of the proudest things, moments of my life, earning that and, and then being on teams, but it doesn't defy me. You know, I got a whole lot of life to live, man. I don't, I don't want that to be the pinnacle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. I remember like, I'm sure Mike probably used to get talked to by about all the t-shirts I used to wear. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> We won't even talk about those on here, but they were good. I got, I got called to the executive officer a couple of times over. It wasn't just you. It was the OIC's t-shirts as well. Oh, I got called, I got called the XO's office about that one. And Scott. Yeah. 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 Those, those were good times. So I learned a lot, but uh, I thought that was a cool, like what you were just saying there, like you wrote this book as you were getting out, right? Yeah, shortly after. So roughly six months after my retirement date is really when I wrote most of it. So now that you're a year and a half or, you know, maybe two years coming up on two years after that, what do you think, like, how has your perspective shifted since you wrote the book? Yeah, I, th I don't think a lot has shifted because a lot of the book was like, hey, get out there, adapt and learn, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm still out here adapting and learning. And that was like a starting point of, look, I'm planning my mission and then I'm going to adjust. Here's my contingencies. And when they go wrong, I'm going to implement them. I'll come up with new facts, new assumptions, turn assumptions into facts. Let me keep going. So I don't, you know, I think obviously what I know now compared to what I knew two years ago is huge. I think even more so I'm a believer in leveraging something like LinkedIn uh, to, to do that. But then what I see, what most people what I didn't do was I didn't stop when I got my job, right? Almost 90 some percent of people, they'll end up connecting with me and I see them. They just go dark once they get their job. Well, hey, homie, or, you know, Sally, whatever your name is, like most people don't stay in their job the rest of their life. You know, the average now is probably, you know, pre-COVID is, I think was that like 14 months for veterans and like three years for um, uh, non-veterans. And then, you know, the average people just turn over. So like, you can't, as we know, you can't build that network once you need it. You got to build it beforehand. And 
that's the one difference I didn't do. And it was not necessarily on purpose. It's just kind of accidental of, I kept leveraging LinkedIn and then it just has opened so many more opportunities for me. Heck it's why I'm talking to you guys, why I've wrote the book, why I've spoke at different places, companies have me come to speak, why I ended up talking to so many people is really from, from leveraging LinkedIn. And it was accidental at the beginning. And it's a powerful tool too, because like you're saying, and it wasn't, it's out of my comfort zone, you know, and you say that in your book too, you know, get uncomfortable, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. We hear that with a lot, you know, especially the circles we've been running around in, yeah. for, you know, a long time. <laughs> That's the way we live, but, you know, to be, to turn, you know, and face outwards outside the fence and start to try to learn and adapt and, you know, change, change the wording in your resume and change. Okay. This isn't necessarily going to translate. How do I reframe that? How do I, well, this person's a, this person does this. Well, why do I really want to talk to them? Well, because I don't know shit. I don't know anything that they do. Right, let's, let's talk to them. Why not? You know, you start getting in and I've, I do this all the time. I'm on there quite a bit and it wasn't until probably, what the beginning of the year, I think I had maybe 200 contacts, you know, I, I was a rookie at this and I'm still yeah. a rookie, but I've started leveraging it a lot more. And it's very eye opening. you know, doing the honor foundation, the career track they had listening to Johnson and Johnson and red hat and, you know, Amazon and steel and all those other companies on there and having those professionals come on and talk to us. And I was, I was reaching out to them before they were even off the conference. I'm on LinkedIn. Hey, great stuff on THF today. Hey, uh, you know, thanks for the insight talking to those folks, you know, just reaching out, trying to make connections with folks and you never know later on, maybe I'll go have a cup of coffee with them and talk to them about the opportunities that are at steel. That's right here in Virginia beach or, you know, one of those other places you just, you just never know, but it's such a, pl a powerful platform to do that in. And I think a lot of veterans transition veterans, one don't have any idea or number two were scared to face outward. Like I, like I have done or made myself do. Yeah. And I think I was, man, I was, I was scared to say I was a green beret or that I was special forces or anything like, Oh, well, that's top secret. Nobody gives a shit. You know, no, you know, it's not top secret. It's not now nah, obviously like I'm not going around like, Hey, I'm a green beret. Nice to meet you. But it, once I overcame that hurdle of be a, quiet professional versus a silent professional that's when it started to get easier but then i realized like if you talk about online dating change the game before there was online dating and all that that social media you, if you met somebody at your church your work the grocery store bar i don't know where else you would meet them gas station or something and there there was a very small bubble of your life and that's the only way you met somebody unless you went to a wedding or some function and that's how networking was for jobs, right? Hey, Trevor, you know, who do you know up in Virginia Beach? Oh, I know these three Bubba's. All right, let me call them and look in a Rolodex where LinkedIn's like, boom, the world's open now. You can talk to anybody. Just send them a connection. Don't be an ass. And you're probably going to get a response back. And now you have a connection that now what do you do with that? Do you leverage it and have the conversation? We have a conversation and cool. Do you follow back up? How much do you nurture that? relationship and obviously for me i think about like this probably if people are listening you don't I, you don't rehear back from my messages this is why i don't take it personal like there's certain people that go to the top and there's certain people that like i get so many messages back that i'm like i just don't have time for it. but the people i'm targeting of targeted focused networking if i'm interested in that company or job you better believe i'm responding to their stuff and i'm like doing what we did right finding finding the matrix and looking through the organization to go, I need to talk to these two key, two or three key people. They will understand, will be able to provide me knowledge. I'll be able to provide them something and it'll be uh, beneficial. Yeah. So imagine in our shoes, like Trevor and I, that when we say we're Navy OD techs and folks in your profession and the SEALs are like, those guys are freaking crazy. So imagine when we have to explain that to everybody else, it just even puts us even more behind the, the eight ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, you go play with bombs. Okay. What? What's wrong with you? You're either dumb, crazy or both. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I, you know, like, I think uh, with, with LinkedIn too, that was a big thing. I, I learned a lot over the last year is really 
you know, doing that. And I'm still uh, with all this stuff, whether it's working out, you know, dieting thing, like it's one of those things you have to be consistent. But the good thing is, is if somebody takes your advice and they start two years out, you can spend 15 or 30 minutes a day, 15 or 15 minutes a day on there. And you can get a lot of work done over the next two years. Um, Huge, man. I mean, I, I will tell you, no one needs to do what I did. I did over 2000 informational interviews as part of my process. Way too many, but do one more, right? I mean, there was days, this is why like probably certain people couldn't do what I did. I would have certain days where I had eight phone calls lined up back to back. I wouldn't know who I was talking to until 10 minutes into the conversation. Cause I'm like, crap, I hung up from one person. So obviously it wasn't very efficient use, but I was getting some info, but yeah, you could what, tell me a reason why you can't send three messages, turn one of them into a phone call and do that every day. You can't, you know, I get it. Like if you're deployed, I always say, Hey, if you're done deploying, okay. You aren't worrying about like operational stuff downrange, but you could do that. And a lot of people will tell me they don't have time guys back in, I was serving with in fifth group. I don't have time. I'm like, Hey, did you sit on the porch and drink beer this weekend? Yeah. Did you go to church? Did you play video games? Did you watch movies? You have time. It's how are you going to use it? And if you realize, Hey, I got to put a little effort into you can. And like, like you've, you guys have stated, like you talk to people and things happen and it doesn't have to be anything fancy. I have a 15 minute conversation. You never know that. But so what happened to me? The key person who put me in touch with somebody at Accenture to get my job there as a management consultant, it was a guy I'd reached out with and talked with it five months ago at a different company, a different consulting company. And he was like, Hey, we talked a couple of times since then. And he's like, Hey, I think you should check out over here talk to this recruiter. She's awesome. And I did. And that's how, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. that's Go ahead, Trevor. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I remember seeing this, I think it was on like Facebook or Instagram or something like that. Somebody was like talking about the difference, just a tiny bit of effort can make every day in a year. And they had like one to the 365th power was one. Right. But then you do 1.01 to the 365th yeah. power and it was like 37. And I was thinking to myself, like, that is a great analogy for just like a little bit of effort consistently can, can, you know, expand your gains so much. Yeah. yeah. I love that one. It doesn't take much effort. I mean, literally find a couple people targeting the location, company, industry you want. Boom, yeah. boom. Send a message that took me one minute. Respond what? to a message. Could we have a call? So when you kind of made that, cause that's a pretty extreme, you know, shift from going special forces team sergeant into, uh, you know, the corporate sector doing management consulting. How did, how did that go for you? I mean, it was, uh, I think one was the attitude. If I didn't have the mindset that I did, uh, I mean, I went, I switched over to special forces when I was E7, right? Mm -hmm. I had just been drill sergeant of the year. The people I drank beers with were, like the first day I'm, I walk into the bathroom or go to go in the bathroom, a three-star general is walking out and like, it's a one stall bathroom. And I'm like, oh, this is different. But that was the environment I went in, was in before going to special forces. All the only people I talked to was senior people. I flew all around the country on the army's dime, wherever. So I had to change my mindset and let me go earn this. And that's the same thing I did with management consulting was no one cares here. They didn't know my rank. They you know, obviously a few of them knew I was special forces, but nobody knew. So I had to get in there and prove myself and go about my business just as hungry as I was the first day I was on a team to prove myself or when I got to basic training, you name it. That's how I had to be there if I was going to be successful. Otherwise, you could just kind of get there and, you know, go with the flow. But I think for a lot of us, uh, you, you two gentlemen included, you know, from your background, we don't just go with the flow, right? Like we want to make things happen and we want to excel and go after stuff. So, but really the, it was all the mindset in my mind is, is the change there. Yeah. That's what I tabbed out in your book here. Chapter two, the reality is be the new guy, be humble. And that's what I put in there. And that's, that's the one thing that really stood out for me in that chapter where you're talking about, nobody cares that you were the green Bray seal ranger raider in that. Navy UD guy, you know, that's, that's funny. That's where, where I, when I first got out my first job, I was working with a guy, SEAL master chief retired after 25 years, um, <clears throat> who came from the command and we were just sitting there talking about this stuff and, you know, kind of the issues we're having, I'm like, bro, we're just, we're basically new guys again, man. We just got to take that, that mentality into this and, 
you know, I went back to that, you know, thing where it was like, Hey, okay, I got to, first thing I have to do is kind of learn like, what's, what's my role here. Right. And, and what are yeah. the things that are going to make me successful doing that? And so, you know, eventually I got the hang of it, but uh, yeah, I, that was also a pretty lax work environment. I didn't really have a, I was going from this, you know, in the military, you have this very intensive, you know, they called it intrusive leadership to just yeah. basically like, nah, hey, yeah, yeah, go figure this out for yourself. Yeah, laid back. I, I mean, I, I definitely feel it's a difficult pill to swallow. Now, for some people, it's a little pill and some people it's a horse pill or the size of a horse crap, right? Like it is, <laughs> it depends. And some people can never get it down. You know, it's just, it's like, hey, it's a tough pill to swallow when you, especially for, retirees right when you've been doing something and like you were important and like people looked at you important and the command will listen to you and senior people sought your advice whatever and now you're like i'm just day one employee here and like depending on where you come in the organization you're still probably not running stuff you know and it's like oh man i'm not important like i need to prove myself again and it's a tough pill to swallow like man i just in my case i just went from leading a 12-man special forces team on some crazy missions over in the middle east to oh you're you're concerned if i can give this training to two people like really i've been doing that since i was like a 20 year old e5 or corporal you know like come on like i could train people but it was just like yeah but then i had to step back and go i get it you don't know they don't know just like we don't know what we don't know they don't know what we know so you gotta show it to them it's it's weird too and i I was gonna ask did you have any like uh preconceptions about kind of like the people you were going to be working with before you went in there like oh man this is going to be you know i'm going to be around civilians and i'm going to have to walk on eggshells because i know that's something that a lot of people are afraid of when they get out that they're they're like man i'm not going to be able to you know be myself because you know civilian workplace and everything yeah i I mean i guess it's like who 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 like we talk about denny who am i right and who do you get? You get me here. Somebody else is going to get a different herb, right? I just went third person. So I'm going to punch myself in the face, but <laughs> like, I mean, but in the team room, like, you know, and your gentlemen's, Hey, down in the cages or in the team rooms, Hey, we realize that's a different environment, whether it's akin to a sports locker, whatever it is, it's a different environment. That's probably degraded by saying a sports locker, room, but it's different, right? What I could say there wasn't what I could say to the indige or wasn't what I could say to the conventional army when we were paired up with them, or even what I could go to command and give them a briefing. So I think, you know, having that situational awareness of like, what can I do here? And like, I always joke, like you can't do knife hands, you know, or you can't just tell somebody to fuck off. Like that's probably not going to go over well, even if you want to do it. And that was my only thing going. It was just like, all right, just be laid back. Cause at the end of the day, no one's shooting at me and I don't really care. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting a paycheck. Let me learn at the end of the day, this stuff isn't as important. So let me like just kind of be surfer dude instead of like, Oh my God, all charged up, ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, you know, it's funny. Uh, you're talking about being surfer dude too. Did, did you take any time after you retired just to kind of chill out for a little bit? I did, man. That's one of the biggest piece of advice I give to people is I took, I mean, let's be real. I didn't do crap my last seven or eight months in command or in, um, in the army Uh, command kind of put me down at the schoolhouse and let me kind of ride out my time. I was fortunate. I was lucky and I'm thankful. Uh, So I had that, I wasn't really working. And then I officially signed out on leave in February and then I didn't start work until July. So I moved, remodeled the house uh, and really just, I purposely took that downtime because i was like when else am i going to get to do this i'll always be able to make money i'll always be able to do stuff but uh, this is a chance for me to connect with my kids this is kind of den- connect with myself in some ways and hey let me tell you the first two weeks of not sitting an alarm clock and waking up still at 6 a.m going oh, what do i do now it was a little weird <laughs> but uh i eventually kind of got used to it and it's like okay this is going to be the new normal but um i hear so many who don't do that they're like oh i'm gonna get out on Friday. And while I'm even on leave, I'll double dip or I'm just going to start. I'm like, dude, take that break, man. Yeah. Take the break. I, I did a, kind of a couple of weeks where I just chilled out. I didn't really do anything, but it was tough. Cause like you, right. I joined, I, I turned 38 a week after I retired and I did, you know, 20 and a half years. So 
I was still kind of hungry. I was like, man, I got to, all right, I'm going to take a couple weeks off. I'm going to try to chill out, but <laughs> it just started irking me. You know, now I'm kind of looking at like, how do I, you know, get myself into a position where I can start taking more time or time off more frequently. Cause it was tough. I, I don't know if I could, I would probably go insane if I took a few months, but I think like I should definitely take like a couple weeks every few months De and, definitely. and just recharge. I, I just did it for the first time. So I, I talk about all this. Hey, take that downtime. I started work. And the only time I took off work was when I had to go away for school uh, for a residential session. So I finally was here last week and week four. I took Thursday and Friday off of work for no reason. I didn't have anything to do. It's just, I'm going to take time off. And it, it, I think that's important. It's something that's hard for guys like us to learn that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause we're used to going, 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 Oh, when we're back from deployment, we'll take a little block leave or something. But um, I think that's important to put into the schedule to do it, to like, be with your family or just go fishing, go do whatever you do. If you go, I know, I know Green Bray who does needlepoint, man. If you just want to sit home and needlepoint or cross stitch, whatever the heck weird stuff it is. I mean, no, it's not weird. Um, like go do that, you know, just take your, take you time. You've earned it, man. And I, I do that. You know, I'm kind of like you, I'm on that same basis where I can just, now I can be like, you know what? I'm not going to work today or that day. I just block stuff off and, it's funny now because I talked to all my, my buddies that are still in and guys like Mike and I'm just like, if I don't want to work that day, I just don't. <laughs> it's, it's nice. It's awesome. But I, you made me think of something real quick, Trevor, like the first time um, I had, I had a, like, I'm going to come into work late. Cause I got to go to the doctors. Right. I started telling my boss all the reasons why. And the boss like, Whoa, stop. You didn't even have to tell me. I was like, what do you mean? I could just not show up this morning. And they're like, yeah, that would have been fine. Like, we can't ask you like where you were or why you, why'd you go to the doctor? It's like, whoa, this is different. You know, Come from the military where it's like, Hey, Hey, here's what I had. You know, and you're showing it to him. I'm going to uh, call medical and make sure yeah. you were there. Yeah, it's just like, wow. Okay. I can't just take off. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I just, you, you know, I hate seeing when, when vets or service members are getting out or afraid of and i i had it myself you know we all like hey yeah i have this job lined up and everything um but you know people were afraid they're like i i don't know what's beyond uh beyond this and you know i gotta tell you i when, when i hear all these things like people are like man it's tough out there you know stay in as long as you can i'm like i don't know what the fuck you're talking about i love it out out here yeah. I mean, I think it's all perspective. Right. And I think a lot of people who say that they just, uh, I think there's a big, you know, and this will piss some people off. There's a big entitlement issue with veterans of thinking we're owed stuff. And since we serve, people are going to give us, you know what, it gets your discount at Texas roadhouse and Lowe's congrats, you know, maybe a couple other places, but nothing else. And that's where people, who I, the people I see successful, I talked to both people who are successful and people who are unsuccessful by any measure. And it's always the mindset of the, them, oh, I'm owed stuff. I don't have to work hard for this again. I just want to cruise because I've done my 20 years in the military. Well, cool. You can cruise, but like you're not going to crush whatever job you're doing after that, you know? So if that's what you want, that's fine. Like it's okay, but the, it, it's all in the mindset of the people who say it's struggle out here. It's not because, like you said, like, hey, I can take today off, right? Like, Hey, I, I can tape a podcast when I'm supposed to be working. Holy shit. You know, like, wow, you can really do whatever where in the military, you, you can't do that. And Oh, by the way, if I don't like where I'm working, I'm done and I'm going to go find a new job. I don't have to stay here for six more years or four more years or whatever it is. I think that's, that's like the biggest uh, culture shock for people. And I've sat on some, some of those panels with other organizations where I even bring that up. I'm like, guys, guess what? If you don't like your job out there, like after you get out, you don't have to work there anymore. You know, what a crazy concept. Yeah, I think uh, we get used to it. You work for, there's good leaders in the military and there's bad leaders. Well, guess what? There's good leaders once you leave the military and there's bad leaders too. It's the same thing, right? So if you're happy, you can stay. And if you want to go, find somewhere else to go to. It's a big world. Go, go do it. And it's, a, you, you know, I think I see a lot of, of folks too that, that as they get close, I, I hate see it breaks my heart when I when I see people that have this feeling of like, well, you know, my life's basically over now because I'm retiring yeah. from that. I'm like, 
I still got at least half, hopefully at least half of my life left to live. Like you're not dead yet, man. Yeah. I think that's kind of a big issue. Right. And that's a lot. I talk to people is, and that people say, how did you, how did you come to grips with that? Right. And this was just simple for me was there's going to be some stuff I did previous in my life. I probably never going to do anything that cool again in that manner. Right. That's fine. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have fun anymore. Doesn't mean I'm going to do cool stuff that challenges me. It's just going to look different. And once I like, I made that mind sh- mindset shift. I don't, I don't look back. I don't look back. Oh, I wish I was still back on a team. Like, no, I'm looking forward of like, Hey, what's the next adventure? What's the next goal I want to achieve? Like, I think too many people do live in that rear view mirror of like, Oh, back when I was on that deployment, that was so awesome. Or wow, this trip or son, it's like, you can think fondly of that, but like, okay, what next? Are you stay hungry? You know, what How a- hungry are you Mike? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I'm hungry to put it behind me and figure the next thing out and get after it. I'm telling you, it's just, you have no idea because I was in the team meeting the other day that we had. And I just, I was like, I I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And I just had to sit there and shut up and be the new guy and just wait for it to come my way because I'm the new guy. I'll just sit there in a corner and be quiet and I'll just keep showing up and showing up and showing up just like you do when you're a new guy. And when the trash needs taken out, I'm going to take the trash out. That's just what I'm going to keep doing. Just like the new guy. So, yeah. Uh, One of the things that I really want to talk about that you put in your book that I think you're one of the first people that I have seen actually put pen to paper on this. And it's one of my pet peeves. And I've been complaining about this for probably the better part of, you know, a decade or so was the enlisted bias. And, and as I was thinking about discussing this today, I started to reflect about last week in their career track with the honor foundation and the more and more that these corporations and these other organizations start developing these veteran hire programs, the more of a concern it is for me that this is going to happen. And because I had a really good friend of mine at, uh, and Trevor and I know him, his name's Adam Shankle. And he, he went to, he went up and worked up in DC and he started looking at DOD jobs and he was a retired he worked for me. He was a retired mass chief and E9. And when he went to go get a DOD job, Hey man, you're not, you're not 15, bro. And he had a, a master's. You're not 15 material. That's, that, those, that's for, that's for the O's. That's not for the E's. You're an E dog. But when you get outside of the DOD, he said, that doesn't matter. I mean, that, that, that a lot of those other organizations, it, it, that goes away, you know, that, that bias isn't there. So, and then when you were, then we said, you know, you get out to, he went to work for Boar's Head for a little bit. Then he worked to work for like Homeland and, and now he's working for a really big consulting company. That doesn't, that's not there. But my concern is with these new veterans plan or veteran programs, veteran hires, that now it's going to stratify, you know, they're going to stratify it again, you know, and then it's going to be, oh, well, wait a second, you know, um, you major so-and-so, yeah, he's got a bachelor's and he went to the war college and got a national security degree and we're going to hire him for this. And Herb, since, yeah, hey, sorry, bro. I know, I know you got a master's from, you know, I know you got an MBA from Cornell, but bro, you're a, you're, you're an E8. So, we're going to put you over there and you can work for that, that major, you know, and, and there seems to be a lot of that. And it, it tends to migrate towards DOD type of things and defense contractors, the large ones, especially, but you're the one of the first ones I've seen that put pen to paper on it. And it's a huge pet peeve of mine. And it seemed to be a huge one of yours that came across in the book. And I'd love you to elaborate on it. Yeah. Yeah. Quite frankly, it pissed me off uh, (laughs) story over. No. Uh, But no, I think, you know, when we talk DOD or defense contractor and I started noticing it when I started applying to places and they're like, what's your military rank? And now these weren't places I was targeting, but I did apply some places to see what would happen and then get some interviews from it. And I was like, why do you care about my rank? What does it matter? And then I think ranks are different, right? Because 
it depends what you did. Like we could take an, we'll take an O3 here and an O3 there and E8 here and E8 there. Depend on if dude was a fueler. And then even then, I don't know what he does. Was a fueler versus a special forces team sergeant. You know what I mean? Just the amount of responsibility, you know, the special forces team sergeant in my case, we are designed and authorized to lead, you know, foreign battalions when we're downrange, which is what the American army has O5 for, you know? So it's like, where is that? You know, how do you do that? But yeah, so I started seeing that. Uh, it, it annoyed me. I saw it at some job fairs and it like, oh, you're enlisted, go do this. You're officer, you go do this track. And I, I, I have some similar concerns, like as veteran hiring programs are initiated. And I always say it shouldn't be a veteran hiring program because the goal shouldn't be to hire more veterans. It's how do you onboard them well and how do you keep them in the company and long-term success. But that is a concern is because there's going to be some hierarchy and how do you dictate what is in there and rank shouldn't matter. It's how well you articulate your value. And I think in some places I know, I know a buddy who left a very famous company that rhymes with a river down in South America. And it was purely because of that is there was a lot of military in his kind of working group, if you will. And he was an enlisted guy who had went to a prestigious university to finish his bachelor's when he got out and get his MBA also from prestigious university. And they were like, Oh no, you're still the enlisted guy, you know? And it was, it was, but to me that that's fine. You know why? Cause then I don't need to be there that if that's how you're going to be, I think then you just go elsewhere where you're valued. Cause my mind, we're not going to be able to change all that other than we show value. And I think by enlisted dudes getting out and being successful, that's how we change a long-term. I know that seems probably, you know, theoretical and fairy tale land, but I think that's how you change it of one kind of person at the time going, wait, Herb, you, you, what did you, what rank did you retire as? I was like, oh, I retired as a eight master sergeant from the army. They're like, oh, wow. I didn't even notice. I thought you were some Colonel or something, but like, okay, whatever, you know, it, it's going to take time, but there's those concerns. But I mean, everybody's got bias, right? I mean, there's uncountless bias. I'll give you another bias, man. Like no, us three are not young chickens here. So the more white hair, gray hair you come in with, they're like, Ooh, how do you fit into our hierarchy here? Cause normally we have a standardized this. They don't necessarily have an age requirement, but if everybody looks like they're 25 and you look like you're 65, they're probably not going to hire you for that position in the 25. Cause they're like, how will you fit in? So, I mean, there's a whole bunch there. And I mean, I think, you know, you can see biases all along. I know I talk with colonels who deal with it because they're like, oh, you probably don't want to work hard. So you're probably looking for a very upper management position. And they're like, no, I just want to get in there and work and literally won't even get to talk to because they're so senior. So all of us have it just dealing with it and finding our fit somewhere else. I think, you know, people who weren't in the military don't understand that rank doesn't necessarily equal competency either because yeah. I, we've all worked with people that had a lot of rank but you know maybe it's because they looked good on paper and you know yeah. the, the reality is is they weren't worth a shit i was gonna really pile on what you're saying about the level of responsibility that you have in special operations as a senior enlisted guy you know I'm, I'm sure somebody would argue with me on this, but you know, you have the, O that's ultimately responsible, but the senior enlisted guy on those, on the, the teams that we're talking about that we ran, man, the pressure's on because frankly, as I was a command master chief, you know, and the person that I'm going to fire when that team is struggling is not the OIC. It's not the officer. Yep. I am going straight for that senior enlisted because 99% of the time the problem lies within with, with that guy or that gal. And, and that's the, I'm not looking at that. It's a, that there's so much responsibility. And then I guess that's where my biggest rub is sometimes with that bias. And then you look at, so this person has pushed themselves and they've gone through all this selection and they've proven that, you know, and then they've made it all the way to the top of that profession. And now they've pushed themselves even more to go and get undergrad, which was not required for their skill set. And then they've pushed themselves, in your case, to go and get an Ivy League MBA. Are you are you kidding me? I mean, that's a dime. That's that's a needle in a haystack right there. If I'm a if I'm if I'm a talent, if I'm seeking talent, 
that's that's a needle in a haystack and that's a very big haystack you and if you find that person you better freaking hire them because if you're comparing that person to the to the one who was the 04 that went to the war college that got the national security degree well that that's a that's a ford taurus sorry and there there are a diamond dozen out there with a hundred thousand miles on it it just is what it is I like that comparison. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think you nailed the responsibility, right? And I mean, I think you've seen our military shift over the last 20 years of war is the amount of responsibility that a just an E6 out on a line unit, whether it's in special operations or out even as an infantry guy in the armies where I can talk about on the army side, but or in the Marines anywhere, like out on a base in Afghanistan, Iraq, wherever has more responsibility than a lot of officers do in other cases. Right. So I think we've seen that responsibility grow and I think people are seeing it. Some of it, I think is um, kind of a marketing thing, right. Also is um, who tends to get out and write books, write movies, right. It's officers that do that or seals. Cause I got to get my dig at seals. Cause I love joking with we, them, but we try to at least get one an episode. So good one. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. yeah you know, but it's like you do, you, you do that, right? Where there's not a whole lot of the enlisted people out talking about what they're well, they'll maybe talking about it, but usually my tendency I've seen is we're more close hold of keeping it to ourselves and we're not going to talk about it. And I think it's detrimental to our brand as senior non-commissioned officers to do that. The one thing I found is just like this, if I'm like, Hey, I'm a retired senior NCO, special forces, Cornell MBA, I'm a badass. hire me that goes over like a wet fart in church, you know, like it has to be somebody else that you gain their trust and they come in and be your champion. And that's, that is much more well-received than, Hey, look at me. I'm good. Cause I mean, everybody thinks they're good. So why are they believing me? I, I think it's uh Mike, wasn't, when you were talking about the enlisted bias and, and this thing, it reminded me of a story. I think Mike, didn't you piss off the Mick pond once asking him about why senior enlisted couldn't go to, uh monterey for navy postgrad i did i did i was a brand new e7 i had been an e7 for about i don't think it was even two weeks and i had to sit down and have a have a you know a voluntold beer with the uh master chief petty officer of the navy and one of the senior fleet master chiefs told me to ask him a tough question i asked him a softball and he got and the fleet master chief kept poking me, ask him, another, ask him a tough question. That wasn't a tough question. And then I finally just started, I just turned it up and I was like, yeah, I asked that question that Trevor's talking about. And then he got mad at me. So, <laughs> but and then it's... I asked him about the, uh, I, one of the great, you'll appreciate this one because we were changing um, the seals, EOD divers and the boat guys were going to change to a rate. We're going to change to our own job. And so I said, you know, well, how, how far are we going to walk this dog? You know, what, what are we going to, cause we used to have source rates to what we called in the Navy. Like Trevor was an, a fire controlman, electronics technician. I was an electronics technician. You had, you know, quartermasters who were navigators. You had radio men back then. Uh, you had corpsmen, medics, type, those types of folks. And we all were plucked from the source ratings because we brought specialties into our team. Whereas you guys have the, the Charlies and the, you know, the, the Bravos, the Deltas, you know, the Echoes and all those folks, but you go through selection and then you go to learn your specialty and then you go to the, to the ODA. So when they made us, they said, okay, no more. You're now going to be the EOD rating, you're going to be the SEAL, you're going to be the diver, you're not going to go to electronic school, you're not going to go to the gunner, gunner mate school, you're not going to go to these schools anymore. That's done, it's a waste of money. So I said, well, well, what are we going to do now? I mean, we don't have, like the PJs love those guys to death, but man, they, they've got it made because there's like four, on a deployment, there's like four PJs and a combat rescue officer. Yep. And two dudes fixing their motorcycles and two dudes packing the reserves and one guy, you know, doing all their other things. And they, they have this massive support package. If I ever had to relive my life again, I'd go back. As a <laughs> they got it made. But, you know, so I said that, that to the Pond, I'm like, well, then we need a support package like the PJs. Cause I was in Djibouti at the time when this whole thing went down and the PJs were sharing this, the building at the Soda compound with us. 
And I said, well, we need it just like the PJs because we need, you know, eight support folks for, for our four man team, which we are an eight man team, which would have meant, you know, 16 support for, you know, whatever, do the math. I can't, yeah. I'm from West Virginia. I'm terrible <laughs> at math public, but anyway, and he's like, well, that's, uh, that's not gonna, that's not gonna work. That's not gonna happen. And he's like, well, what do you, what do you suggest? And I said, well, uh, the SF model has been working pretty well for what, since the late fifties, uh, early sixties, they've been kind of yeah. crushing it for a while. So why don't we look at that? And we're not going to do that. We're not. And that's when he got mad and he left, but, uh, yeah, that was a really fun beer. It was, it was good to be a brand new chief, brand new E7 and piss off the most senior master chief in the United States Navy all within the first two weeks. <laughs> but I mean, that's important, right? You should want candor. And if not, it's not an organization you want to be a part of. Now we're talking on the Navy and we've all been around the senior leaders who don't want to hear the truth or, you know, that, but that's where I look for like an organization that I'm going to work in now is like, you're hiring me because you want me to speak the truth. And if you don't want me to speak the truth, then don't hire me. Yeah. Really simple. It's, it's so, well, and with that too, like there's, you know, I, I, I tell people like, I don't want to tell you, you can't speak the truth or speak your mind, but it's probably better out in the civilian world. If you like learn to use some tact with it, you don't necessarily, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. cause like, yeah, yeah. you know, you I can't, massage just, it. I can't go to somebody and be like, you're a fucking idiot. Fix yourself. Yeah. I can say, Hey, you know what? I think maybe there's some things we can work on. You can strengthen some of your, whatever i don't know however whatever flowery language you want to use but yeah it's it is a little different but it's i think it's important that you stay true to that and and say like hey you know i'm, I'm just i think that this is a potential problem i still i think we should address it yeah i gotta yeah, learn I to cover do that right and I, oh go ahead Drew. sorry no i think you, you gotta do that right but we all we've all had to tell people they were effed up or wrong or jacked up somehow and we've had to do it nicely, whether it was an indige or a foreign organization, a, a unit we were paired with. It was a senior, someone, someone. Now, obviously, in the team room, that was different. But, you know, we, we've all had to do it. And I, I think that's a misconception some people outside the military think is every time it's just us saying, hey, asshole, do what I said. Like, you know how, you know, sometimes that works, but a lot of times you're like, oh, no. I yeah. think that's one of the things I'm going to miss the most is the candor. <laughs> You know, and yeah. I'm really, that's what, what my comment was. I'm going to have to learn to put some candy coating on my candor because I'm, I'm known to have a little bit of candor, but I'm going to have to learn to coat it a little bit better. Just but call I'll it candier. Candier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. But th that's knowing what organization type you're looking for, that cultural fit, right? And that probably means you're not going to a big corporate headquarters because they're probably, that's not them. But if you could find that organization, whether it's a smaller one or maybe a startup mentality, something like that, there are places where that candor is appreciated. It doesn't mean you aren't going to have to adapt and change, but um, there, that candor is appreciated. Just eh, how much it's appreciated depends on where you're at. Herb, what's on the horizon for you now? Uh, not a damn clue. End of story. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, I'm looking to make a move. Uh, should be doing that here uh, soon uh, to a new new role, new position, new career. Um, and then I don't know, um, kind of catching the breath now, finished up my school. They sent me the piece of paper. I officially graduated next month. So it's kind of, congrats. okay, what now? Thanks. Yeah, congrats, and, um, man. That's awesome. It's, it, it's what now. Right. And I think it's, I don't know what it is, but I know kind of the rough azimuth I'm going on. Right. I know I'm going this way and I'm going to hit something in there, but either way, it's still, you know, I work, a guy works for me is a retired Marine, man. And he's like, Hey, he's a little bit older. And he's like, I'm at the stage of my life. I just want to come in, get my paycheck, go home, spend time with my wife, the family, all that. I don't care about getting promoted or anything. I'm not there. You know, I, I figure I'm still hungry. I just turned 40. So for me, it's like, man, what can I do for the next 10, 15 years? And then to see if I could take a break. So I don't know what I'm going to be doing, but I'm going to be doing it. And then I'm interested in, um, writing another book but not another transition book um something along the lines of uh m melding what i've learned in the military since then to try to help some people out but i don't know we'll s i think the more you we talked you know i think we started way back when at some point talking about networking and talking to people and the more that happens the more opportunities and you learn of things arise and you're like oh i didn't even know that was something let me check that out 
it, one of the things and we can cut this out of, if you don't want to talk about it, but one of the things that I find really interesting is the, the cost of the executive MBAs and how much the VA and the GI bill covers it. I mean, that is a huge chunk of change and what a great benefit that if you're able to leverage the post 9-11 GI Bill and some of those yellow ribbon type things and and those, I mean, when you look at, I mean, it's a six, it's no shit, no, no doubt north of six figures, easy, especially at Cornell. But 155K the, the, for mine. Yeah. And how, how beneficial or, you know, how much did the VA and in the G, uh, post 9-11 help you out with that? Uh, great. I mean, two things. There's the VA, uh, with, well, with the GI Bill. So I, you know, I set that aside, going to save for my kids. And I'm like, well, return on investment is to do this here now. This is a, this is a known. So I'll use the GI Bill. And then the VA with a yellow ribbon and Cornell, not all schools do this. Cornell has limitless amount of people can get it and they, they put in their money. So essentially they put up a lot of money and the VA matches it. So, and it's because they see the need for veterans in the program. They see what we bring and they want us in there. So they've said, Hey, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. And that's where, if you know, a company is serious about it or a school is serious about it, they put their money up against it. Right. They put their money in people against it. If they're just talking smoke out their ass, well, that's what it is. Smoke out their ass, you know, put money up and Cornell is very good with it. So, I mean, I all told if you, I all told if you include the BH money that I got, it's roughly I broke even, as in I didn't pay anything and I got a damn Ivy League MBA, right? Like, talk about return on investment. I, yeah, I gave up a lot of almost all my free time for the last 18 months, but look, look where the return. So that's why I encourage people to look at those things and like, man, to go do it. Yeah. It's a lot of work. You, you're going to stretch the brain a little bit, but you'll grow and the return on investment, man. Like I'm telling you the doors it opens already when I, in it for me specifically, when I'm like, Hey, I'm Herb Thompson, management consultant, Cornell MBA and the green beret, they go eyes roll back in people's heads sometimes. And I'm just like, yeah, whatever that's me. And they're like, cause people understand that we talked about people don't understand what, you know, EOD tech is or what this, what green beret, what ranger, whatever. I tell you what they do understand. They understand you working at a big name company and they understand an MBA from Cornell, Harvard, you know, wherever. As long I'm not putting down anybody's MBA from another location, just people understand what that means. And it brings in the, I mean, it's, I think not enough people look into doing that. And it's usually a, the officer route, right? We talked about listed officer and some of that. That's the officer path. Go get an MBA go do that and not, you know, some list of guys do the, usually it's like guys who get out a little younger after one or two, two um, enlistments, they go do it. And I know some I have, but it's, I mean, go find other senior either enlisted or warrant officers, whatever, who retired after 20 to 30 years and then went to prestigious university to get a, I'm telling you, it's a small list, right? It just doesn't happen, but it's like, it's essentially free. If you still have your GI bill, in most cases, or, you know, come out of pocket just a little bit. And then the, the network that that opens up for you, you know, the MBA, I think is, you know, a lot of people look at it as a degree, but it's just as much a network as it is a degree. 100%. I, I, for, I did it for two reasons. Yeah. I knew I'd learned some stuff, but you can learn stuff anywhere. The WASTA that brings when you put that on your resume or you walk in a room kind of like, you know, seeing, seeing, um, uh, you know, Master Chief Petty Officer rank on somebody. Like when you walk in a room, people know what that means. They know what the, an MBA, especially from prestigious university is. And then the network is the other thing. The network you get from it and you get to tap into the school. You can reach out to anybody. And now it's, you know, in my case, hey, I went to Cornell. You went to Cornell. Let's talk. I mean, it's that easy. And that's not even just the people I went to school with. This is, you know, open up the, the spectrum of the list. Yeah, the complete alumni. Yeah. The red carpet's out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we, uh, we wish you the best of luck. And uh, I know we're getting, uh, we're running a little bit long on time. And uh, speaking of what we were talking about earlier, taking time, I got a fishing date here and a little bit with one of my little dudes. So 
but nice. uh, yeah, her, uh, awesome book, the transition mission. If you haven't read it, definitely check it out. It's on, I think I got it off of Amazon and, uh, yeah, we'll it's have Amazon four ninety nine. Yeah. We'll have to go drink some bourbon one day and I can have you sign my copy. Yeah, <laughs> man. We'll and, do that. Uh, we'll try to, I'll try to not have me and Mike there at the same time. Cause if we do that, we got to carry it both together. out of there. <laughs> you, you even have to Uber in the same neighborhood, which Uber gets really pissed off about, or you have to have some neighbor drive you home. Or like hopefully a neighbor driving by on their golf cart at midnight sees you pass out on the golf course. And <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure. It's good to talk with you, with you fellas. Uh, yeah. You know, it's good to just sit down and uh, have real conversations, you know, and I, uh, I love that you guys are doing this and spreading some good word out there. And um, hopefully more people hear and realize, I know we've talked about it's difficult, but look how many people are successful, right? Like it's, uh, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Nothing to be scared of. Nobody's shooting at you. You're not jumping out of a plane. You're not holding your breath underwater. Like it's going to be okay. Well, we definitely appreciate you sharing your perspective. Cause I think that's really at the end of the day, that's what, that's what makes everybody do it better. So Thanks for coming on the show, Herb. Yeah, Herb, really Thanks, appreciate fellas. the talk, man. It was right. awesome. Thank you. Take care. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net. And let us help you get to vet.